Hi, and thank you for listening to this week's episode of Sliced. We have a quick announcement for our listeners. Um, first of all, I am transitioning to a new role, which will take me away from my responsibilities with the Slice podcast. That said, it has been such a great journey um, being with you all, and I just so appreciate every single person that has listened to the podcast, joined us as a guest on the show, downloaded the show, given us five stars, dropped a review. I so appreciate each and every one of you, and it did not go unnoticed. We really, really appreciate your support, and it's been a great joy doing this show, and I will miss it, but I do have to transition into something else. So in my absence, Michael, who you've been introduced to before, he's going to join me here in a moment, is going to fill in my shoes, which are big shoes to fill. Michael? (laughs) (laughs) They are. You have done such an amazing job with Sliced. Um, It's been so fun working with you, interviewing with you for the few that we did together. Um, And I'm very excited for your next chapter. And it definitely is big shoes to fill, but I'm excited to take the baton from you and continue to give the listeners of Sliced uh, little bits of wisdom from other founders and people in the startup world so thank Thank you you emily you're the man for the job wow what an honor (laughs) thanks (laughs) i mean it hi and welcome to the sliced podcast where we share startup stories from founders investors and ceos from across the globe Hi, and welcome back to the Slice Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Ahrens. Today's guests are Jeremy Becker and Adam Zucker, founders of Cloverleaf AI. Cloverleaf is a platform that transforms decentralized government meeting data into an actionable dashboard for government affairs teams. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yes, we're going to have a great time. We're going to learn so much about you guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And (laughs) Michael's here. I was going to say co host. (laughs) (laughs) We might have to be transitioning from one host to two. So we're in that awkward. I think stage. we'll probably re-record that, and I'll mention you. Is that why Michael's sitting in the corner? Yeah, over there? I haven't earned the the desk chair yet. He does have a special microphone. <laughs> True. True. Yeah. Sorry about that. And Michael is here, so it's a uh, there's four of us in the studio, which is great, and more than usual. So I want to start just to kind of learn a little bit about each of you individually, and then we can kind of bring you guys together. So, Jeremy, you said you would like to start. <laughs> I, I uh, dove on the sword, yeah. Yeah, okay. So tell me a little bit a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and how you got started, maybe what you studied in school, just like a little overview. Yeah, so the, uh, the first 30 seconds of this are going to sound real familiar for, <laughs> for both of us, uh, but I grew up in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, um, you know, very nice upbringing, all of that. Went to University of Illinois, studied finance and psychology, mm-hmm. which is a weird mix. But when you have a, a Jewish father, he won't pay for college if you just get a psychology degree. <laughs> yeah. Um, after that, I worked at Deloitte for a year Yep. in the city of Chicago. Cool. Hated Deloitte. Okay. Uh, nothing against not Deloitte. Cool. Just not, <laughs> not, no, just not. Wasn't my vibe at 22. Yeah. Uh, so I moved out to Colorado when I was 23. Worked in early stage distressed assets, private equity, which is a mouthful, but essentially means acquiring and trying to turn around struggling startups. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's often debt in play, so we would work with the banks to try to restructure that. And uh, unfortunately, restructuring and turnaround are nice ways of saying you wear a lot of black and don't Mm -hmm. always give people raises. Mm -hmm. So I left that after four years have spent the last five years as VP of product at a scaling startup based out of Boston. Neat. Well, until I started this. Yeah, yeah I was going to say. That was the, uh, the line until we got Until to like here. a year ago. So, yeah. We, yeah, we started Cloverleaf. We incorporated in July of last year. Okay. Yeah. Very, very cool. Do you want to talk well, to Adam? I'm curious <laughs> what brought you to Denver, of all oh, places. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was like every other Midwestern kid that was like realized that Chicago's great, beautiful, but just not enough there. There's, it's not very 
view filled. You needed more nature. Yeah, exactly. And Denver's such a perfect mix of, yeah. you know, an hour from the mountains, great thriving downtown. Yeah. And a lot of job opportunities. So And, and not too far from Chicago. I was just going to say, <laughs> and not too far from home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And how about for you, the elevator pitch of your background? The elevator pitch. So I also started off in that same northwest suburb of Chicago. Uh, me and Jeremy grew up together. Um, and then I went to University of Oregon for college. Um, I tried every liberal arts field in the book before finally settling on computer science. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm actually one of those half rare engineers who went to school for computer science. Um, did that, got out of school, took a couple jobs in Eugene, then moved to New York City, lived there for like five years as an engineer. And then pandemic rolled around. Uh, I went remote and lived out in a small town in Oregon for like a year. And then Jeremy called me last April, May, um, and told me, we had talked about this before. We had actually talked about bringing me on in like an advisor role um, before the pivot. Um, but then he had, he was going to change the business a little bit and he wanted to bring so me on. Explain that maybe yeah, to us. Pivot. Yeah. Yeah. Where did it yeah. start? How did you pivot? How'd you guys find each other? Yeah. So we started at, well, we found each other playing rec league basketball okay. when we were nine. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, so the initial concept for the company, which is that we were called engaged citizens. We were trying to partner directly with local governments to transcribe their meetings, drive engagement among citizens. And we just ran into the buzzsaw that is local government budgets. Mm -hmm. But we still felt like there was a lot of value in this data. We still hope to get back to that initial vision at some point. But that that was kind of where we pivoted. And I think we were just over quarantine. We were playing Settlers of Catan (laughs) over Zoom. And I was like, hey, I'm, I'm pivoting this thing. I went through a executive MBA through Northwestern. And that's kind of what drove the pivot. Nice. And I was like, Adam, you want to? Maybe tell everyone who isn't familiar, right, with the business more about how how it all works. What is Cloverleaf? Yeah, Yeah. tell us about Cloverleaf. Yeah, so um, we ingest videos of government meetings, and then we transcribe them to text. And then once we have text, we can make them searchable. Um, so that's kind of the main thrust of the product right now is allowing users to tell us what keywords they're trying to track in government meetings and then tell us the geographies they they care about. And then we send them like a daily report letting them know everywhere that word was mentioned, the exact spot in the meeting, and they can jump straight to it. So to translate that back to the engaged citizens thing, at first it was selling to governments for to increase transparency for citizens. So your government would buy it, and then you didn't have to go to your local city council meeting, and you could just find out what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but as Jeremy said, sales cycles were long. It was really tough to get the governments to, to spend the money on it. Um, but for private businesses, that data matters a lot, and they have the money and the willingness to spend. Right. So that's where we find ourselves now. Right. And that's been a super successful journey over the last year. Okay. To yeah. sell so that as a use case, it's kind mm-hmm. of like a massive telco trying to track broadband spending. Okay. They're not going to send someone to every meeting across the state of Colorado. Right. Because believe it or not, that small town on the Eastern Plains still gets a two and a half million dollar broadband RFP. Okay. So if I'm like an oil company, I would pay you guys so then I could track all the meetings of any time oil or energy is mentioned. When Michael Oil LLC comes uh-huh. up, yeah, you can reach right out to us. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I mean, it, it, so we there's like an insurance use case. So I think it depends on the oil, but I could see the oil being more on that side, trying to stay abreast of what people are talking about, how they're talking about your product. Yeah. Uh, the use case Jeremy's talking about with like a telco, um, we're finding a lot more success in because it's people, it's it's a revenue generator, right? Uh-huh. So it's helping them find extra government contracts they might not otherwise find. Oh, got it. Got it. Yeah. Do you have any government, in, like people buying this product like within government who just want to stay up to date on all the meetings yeah so we in that first iteration we sold two deals to government but that was like a year of side hustle yeah doing that so it never felt promising enough to like fully dive in got it at that point uh but we do have a direct to government partnerships program that we're trying to roll out. So to more or less give the tool away to governments 
That's cool. Not totally for free, but incredibly discounted. Yeah. So we can still drive that engagement and transparency. Why, for both of you, why is civic engagement so important to you? So I grew up around these meetings. My father worked in local government, single father. If he couldn't find a sitter, I would be in the back of the meeting playing with my Tonka trucks, trying to not fall asleep. Uh, so I knew the problem intimately. So when I went through that Kellogg um, or Northwestern executive MBA, mm -hmm. I knew I had a problem. I had worked in some way in startups and software my entire career. So it was just, I knew software could help fix this problem. Yeah. Um, what I didn't know at that time was how hard it was to sell the government. So we decided to just start grabbing the data and then, you know, finding the buyer with higher willingness to pay and someone who can turn on a budget cycle quicker. Yeah. Um, I don't have the same personal relationship to it all. Uh, um, I, I'm more in it. I, I love building things. I also uh, I worked at like probably 10 different startups over my career so far. Um, and I definitely like building things that have an actual like market fit. Yeah. And like a real business. <laughs> um so he came to me, explained the idea to me. It made immediate sense. Um, and in that sense, I was like totally on board. And I've been looking for an opportunity to kind of have more ownership over my work and, and take a position like this. Um, and it's been a fun ride so far, and I'm, I'm super glad. Yeah. It's a fun ride, which we uh, hear a lot. However, yeah. <laughs> we also hear not an easy one. Yeah. Can you think back to a particular time when you were maybe just getting started? and an obstacle that you had to overcome and ultimately how you did overcome it. I'll start off by just saying that um, before I took this job, so I've been an engineer for a while and um, I've never worked harder than I am right now, but in a weird way, I've never been like less stressed out. Um, I don't know, at least for me, I'm starting to realize that you gotta work to be happy on some level. Like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. there's a lot of jobs that will make you unhappy, but but being a productive member of society is kind of like an inherent thing. So um, I think that's like where the fun ride part comes from too. But as far as an early obstacle, I mean, for me, I've never managed people before. I've never been in a, in a leadership role like this. Um, so for me, it's been a lot of pushing myself outside of my comfort zone, right? I, I was an engineer, so I was an individual contributor. So my work was just my work and I didn't have to worry about anybody else. And that's not the case anymore. So I have to kind of keep a bunch of plates spinning. Um, I've had very varying success and failure at that, but uh, I think it's the the toughest thing for me has just been like that. I don't know if I have like one early obstacle, but just getting pushed like really far out of my comfort zone in that sense. Mm -hmm. You know, like we're recruiting right now, and so I have to kind of become a salesman and like cold email people and get rejected a bunch. And it's hard. Those are yeah, those are all things I'm not used to doing. Right, yeah. like engineers are very protected in today's world, especially in the soft, like we're, you know, having been one, I feel very comfortable saying that we're, we're quite spoiled in a lot of ways, yeah. you know? Uh, I, I used to liken it to like, you know, you put the hamsters in the cage, you give them a bunch of toys and you don't know how they get it done, you just know they get it done. Yeah. And that's kind of how people treat engineering teams, they're black boxes, right? Um, and that's not the role I'm in anymore. I don't get to say no, I don't get to say I don't like that. Or I can say I don't like that, but then I still have to do it. Uh, <laughs> and I would say the first toughest challenge so we got accepted into Techstars. They actually reached out to us and asked us to apply. Oh, wow. um, and we both had very comfortable jobs at the time. Mm -hmm. So for me, convincing my, my partner to be like, hey, you know how I'm currently the breadwinner and we, we bought a house three years ago? Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go make no money for a while. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's an ongoing struggle, right? Like how can I still show up? How can I? Mm -hmm provide value in other ways, not to use business terms. Um, but I think that was probably the first biggest struggle Just for both of us. Just kind of taking the leap. Yeah, jumping in Yeah, head first. So what, like, did you know always that you were going to do it, or was it, were you torn, like, all throughout? Or was it more a matter of convincing family and partner? I, it wasn't as much convincing as it was described, like, defining what is this going to look like. Yeah. As we go forward, rationalizing it a bit, <laughs> and, well, yeah. and, and being completely honest, that ninety-nine percent chance we fail, right? Yeah. At that time, we were pre-product, we were pre-customers, we had nothing. And you right. still were asked to join TechStars at that point. So we, um, so it was TechStars. 
powered by the heritage group or I don't know who powers who <laughs> in their relationship. <laughs> um, and they reached out to us. We still had to apply, but it was more a formality as we understand it. Yeah. Um, How did they hear about it then? Through It was just like Techstars MDs that I know in okay. Denver. Got it. But then we also had to move to Indiana for three months. Oh, wow. We got to move to Indiana for three <laughs> yeah, months. Yeah, there can it is. Can we cut that? And, like, that's another huge ask of a partner. Just be yeah. like, hey, you yeah. have to move. take care of our cat and, <laughs> and the house, that whole thing. Yeah. 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 Um, but I think that was probably the biggest internal struggle. Business-wise, it's just it's unending, right? Mm-hmm. There's never enough time in the day. I didn't really think through that I would also be VP of HR. Yeah. <laughs> How big this... is your guys' team? Sorry. Yeah, that good. You uh, look... we're, we're at four right now. Four, but hiring, recruiting. Hiring, yes. hoping yeah. to get to five by Actively. the end of the week. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so you, kinda, you end up uh, wearing every hat, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know. And the thing, too, that I, I realized, I was told quickly, and, and you kind of learn it, but at, at every successful milestone, it just kind of ramps up the stress, <laughs> yeah. right? Because it's like, <laughs> if it's stressful to run a company with two people, then when you have 10 people, now you have like a lot more responsibility on your plate. And right. so it's like you you have these wins and you feel them and then you immediately feel like, oh, shit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think in some ways that's the constant struggle of the job is like we, we were told this early on um, that you just have to learn to live with that uncomfortable feeling that that's a normal part of the job and it doesn't really go away. Um, so good, I, good friction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think about it, too, like um, – I really like like MMA and stuff. And I heard a fighter talk about how like before a fight he gets nervous and he said what he realized ultimately is like that's normal because he's like I'm about to go fight in front of a million people and potentially mm-hmm. get knocked out. He's like that's a terrifying thing. He's like if I'm not nervous, that's weird. That's weird. So right. it's like yeah. I, I think about that in this too. It's like we have a lot of responsibility on our plates. There's a lot of uncertainty. I think it's natural to feel stress from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that stress keeps us on the ball a little bit more. You know, it gives yeah. you that extra little bit of motivation. Right. Yeah, it's like you can reframe what stress is, and then yeah. it can be productive. Because if you have no stress in your life, then you're not going to get anything done. Yeah. Right. And that's relating it back to that those previous engineering jobs I had, where it the you get more experience in your career, you get really good at your job, and you start to be able to like, you're like, oh, I can do a whole day's work in two to three hours or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you think you're going to be happy. And then eventually you're like, wait, why the fuck am I not happy? I I also think responsibility is closely linked to happiness. Like the more responsibilities you have, the greater sense of fulfillment and happiness that you ultimately have. And people think it's like, oh, if I have no responsibilities, I could just like do whatever. I would be happy. And it's usually the opposite. It's not fulfilling. Yeah, I think I... So you have spent time in Boulder? (laughs) (laughs) I lived lived in Venice Beach. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've been saying that too. That like, because it's my first like real management job. But it's like when you take on a bunch of responsibility and then you prove yourself to be worthy of that responsibility. That's an incredible feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Like to take that on, and that gives you so much confidence in other areas of your life to go on and take on more responsibility or to like, yeah, just make a statement and stand by it, you know, or a decision. Well, speaking of the stress and the responsibility, something I think we've heard a lot from founders is the struggle of finding a work-life balance because it can be, like we've talked about, all-consuming and kind of you have to wear every hat and step into every position. So how do you guys struggle that? I mean, I I would say if I had any advice for people um, trying to start a company is break up your calendar before you get started because you think you're going to be, I'll figure it out. It'll be fine. And um, as people talk about the the freshman 15, I say I'm currently gaining the founder 50, <laughs> uh, um, which my partner also does not love. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. You just have to be firm. You have to set boundaries. I, I'm still figuring it out. I won't speak for Adam, but it's, it's incredibly difficult. And I don't think there is a specific blueprint. You just need to stay constantly mindful. Um, I've set a, this is like the lamest finance dude thing I can say. I have an Excel doc of how I want to spend my hours every week <laughs> and then how I end up spending my hours every wow. week. Wow. That's cool. And compare those. 
and like rank a percentage out of them. I would be afraid to do that. I don't That's think cool. I would want to see the oh, results. Oh, I've never made myself happy with it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but, at least, but at least I'm tracking. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I've heard of this uh, where it's like on Sundays, if you do, I think it's like the 60 rule or something where it's a, a likening it to, uh, to flying an airplane for every like one degree off you are, it's like 60 miles, you're going to go off course yeah, yeah, yeah. over like the course of an hour. So it's like taking time on Sundays, looking back, being like, am I one degree off and it's it's basically like how am I spending my time versus oh. how do I want to be yeah. because then you like those small variances and how you spend your time make you end up like totally different yeah. places oh. in life um but I have never had the discipline to actually sit down and do yeah. it <laughs> but like cool. mental yeah. masturbation wise it sounds nice yeah. that I would do it but then it's like in actuality I'm not yeah. Yeah. sitting down and doing yeah. it also you don't have to drink it every happy hour FYI. Yeah. That's my last last piece of advice. <laughs> no, pass it to Adam. I'd be uh, curious to see that template, uh, uh, like how yeah, you broke that out in Excel. I thought he was about yeah. to say a template for how I want to have fun or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I keep an Excel list of all the cool things I want to do in my life. The template for how not to drink at happy yeah. hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I definitely have not found it yet. Um, I think on some ways because I – in my previous roles, I didn't have a lot of response. I've kind of in like gone the other. I'm like, I'm gonna go straight in, go as deep as I can, take it all on, and then kind of work back from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the things I try to focus on, or just try to notice and be aware of, are like points of diminishing returns. So like, I remember in the TechStars program, you know, the first like month and a half, I kind of like wrote the whole product, like rewrote the whole product. And a lot of like really long days, and it was honestly a lot of that's really fun. It's like you're just in the mind. I, I call it the code mines. Mm-hmm. Just go deep, and you just do a bunch of coding, and I get to block out the world. But uh, I remember like there was one day Jeremy was out of town, and so I had like the house to myself for the weekend, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna go Friday night. I'm gonna spend all night coding, and I sat there for like four hours, and I maybe got like an hour of work done, and I was just like, and I just closed. Light. I was like, dude, you're not doing anything for Saturday and Sunday, because it's like. I can sit here for four to six to eight hours and get very little work done, or I can take the next two days off, come back on Monday, and get all that work done in probably like the first hour or two. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like trying to notice these moments where the amount, like, effort's not always, doesn't always equate to, to outcome. So it's like just notice when working for the sake of working isn't smart, you know? Mm-hmm. You're, you're your resource, your mental energy is a resource, and it's a marathon, right? Like, we're trying to have this company three, five, ten years, who knows? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's a long journey. And it's a marriage. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely is that too. Well, uh. <laughs> yeah. And that's why it's so important too. like, you know, your guys' relationship, obviously you met when you were young, but could you speak to the importance of like finding the best co-founder for you and, and the best, that working relationship? I'm sure, like you said, it is a marriage. You're, you're in it for the long haul. And so this is where we hold hands. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Any we're thoughts on that? I feel like we're a com- <laughs> like in couple counseling, but yeah, we're yeah. not. Well, I would say, so I was kind of the originator of the idea with zero idea of how to execute it technically. When I thought about a CTO, I know Adam is, as he said, he's business driven. Like he doesn't, like there are tech folks that are super driven just by building awesome products. And that's cool. I like to build products buyers want to buy. And I know Adam is of that same mindset. So when it comes to finding a CTO or, or a co-founder, if you're the CTO, you need a, a business-minded person or whatever role you're trying to fill, um, have those discussions early to figure out, make sure that you are aligned, I guess, philosophically on what a company needs to be. Um, and then for maintenance, it's just I have implicit trust that Adam is way better at me than coding and building his product. And I will tell him what I want, obviously, as mm-hmm. I'm still very much in that product role. But his ability to execute, I'm not going to nitpick or yeah. or anything like that. I think it's like complementary um, skills too, right? Like uh, I agree completely with Jeremy, like the North Star thing, right? Like we both have the same vision of like what a good company looks like or what success looks like, um, even if we disagree on how to get there. And we've talked about this. Our advisors have told us this, uh, one in particular, that you know, it's like friction's a good thing. And he yeah. always calls it, he's like, that's good friction. 
uh, sometimes when we get into fights or arguments and stuff, and and I've noticed he's correct. It's like, I, and I've noticed this too in my career in general. If you get a bunch of people working on something and they all care about it, they're going to fight sometimes. Like that's just inevitable, mm-hmm. and that's good because when you don't get fighting at all, that's usually because nobody gives a fuck <laughs> about what's yeah. happening. So, I mean, it has to be respectful, and the ultimate goal has to be the best product, not being right. Right. So to Jeremy's point too, uh, we're both quick to say. Like, all right, that's not, that makes sense to me if it does, right? Mm-hmm. But then we're also both quick to say that doesn't make sense to me. Explain that, you know? Um, so, and we shared an Airbnb in Indiana. That's why it was like Jeremy wasn't home. Uh, we don't always live together. Yeah. <laughs> just, just in Indiana yeah. for the Airbnb. Which I'll say is a lesson to learn was when we came out of that, you know, like when we, when we hired our first engineer, um, I, I offered... I gave, I sent an offer over, or not sent one over, but gave, made a verbal offer. And I was telling Jeremy the next day, and Jeremy was like, hey, next time I would just love it if you ran that by me first. And I was just like, I didn't? <laughs> because in Indiana, I got so used when we live together in the program, you're, you know, not only live together, but we're in the program. Like, there's usually not more than an hour or two that goes by without seeing each other. Right. She's having so many conversations throughout the day. And then we go move back to Denver, and I'm in my place, he's in his. He has a partner, he's got a life. You know, it's like we see each other at work. But it was that thing, it's like we talked one day, then I thought about it some more, and then the next day happened. And in my head, I think I just assumed, assumed we had a conversation. Assumed you ran it by yeah. him? That's hysterical. Yeah, and he was yeah. just like, and I was like, I honestly was just like, that's totally my bad. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go back to something you said that you like both have the same vision of what success looks like. So what is that for you? Because for everyone, it's different. Some oh. people could want to build you know, a huge company. Some people oh. want to keep small and private. Some people want to sell. So like, oh. what's, what's success for you guys? Our goal is to so small and private is not what we're focused on right now, um, but our goal is to try to make the best decision at every turn, right? Like our our growth honestly happened much faster than we thought it would, which is very exciting. But we are also conscious of like runaway valuations yeah. and trying to scale too fast. When you say fast, like how soon did you guys know that you were having something that like had traction? It's funny because it's, it's like the different perspectives. From my perspective, even pre-product and pre-customer, I felt great. Because yeah. <laughs> like as a technical product, it made so much sense to me, right? Yeah. So it's like in my head, and I guess as an engineer, you're like business people and salespeople are going to go do their thing and like that'll work, you know? Like they always make it work. So I'm like, I can build this. Everybody I talk to tells me like this makes sense. So like why wouldn't this work, you know? Uh-huh. Um, I know on his end, like he's the one getting rejected by like 80% of the people he tries to call or 90, right? So it's like, it's a very different feeling. <laughs> Founder-led sales. Yeah. Um, and I know we don't want to focus too much on on numbers, but so we 19 x revenue last month. Oh, wow. Which is very exciting. Yeah. Thank you for the appropriate response. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> um, How quick was that growth for you? Like what were the first couple months like? So we didn't sign our first customer until January. Okay. And, and you launched in July. The product launched in November. So we yeah. incorporated July. Uh, we had an old product for that engaged citizens uh, work, but the work we wanted to do is Cloverleaf. That wasn't going to be a viable app. So program starts mid-September. I start on the rewrite like late September, and I'm done by like November 1st, essentially. And so we have our first pilot people onboarded in November. January, I onboarded our first telco company. Um, major telco company and that was kind of like the big start of our revenue and sweet yeah sweet um and another question i have you also mentioned your mentors or yeah so how did you go about finding those and how would you recommend people who maybe don't get into tech stars if it was just through tech stars like how do you go about (laughs) finding a good mentor yeah i mean tech stars was very helpful for us (laughs) um and i think accelerators in general from my understanding of them like the two things they're going to provide you with are mentorship and networking and I suppose networking leads to mentorship. So, um, but I mean, but was it like a my, formal process? Like you had to like ask someone to be your mentor? Did you get paired up with someone? Yeah, it wasn't like a "Will you be my mentor?" Like here's my last rose yeah. sort of thing. Um, it was it was more of just like we vibe together. There are connections here, but if you don't go through a tech stars, um, my friends joke that I would network at a funeral. So I like networking. I don't see it as a negative term. I find it to be a very positive thing. So just say go to events. If 
you connect with someone, follow up, be hyper focused with their time and what you're asking them for, because likely anyone you want to be your mentor um, is busy. It's going to be very busy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, the Techstars MDA talked about earlier that it talked about us to the other Techstars is I actually used to call him my professional man crush um, and is now our, one of our board members is like I hounded him. Like, just like, hey, you want to get a beer this week? You know, yeah. Or, okay, yeah. no, that's fine. I'll buy coffee tomorrow. Yeah. So I would yeah. just say, like, be relentless, but be focused. Well, not relentless, maybe persistent. Is a better <laughs> term. Um, but be focused with their time. Make yeah. sure you leave with an ask. I think the ask thing's big, too. Like, so Techstars, the first, the second through fourth week, they do this thing called Mentor Madness. Um, and they, it, they, you have, like, 80 10-minute conversations with different people. Um, wow. Every single one you need to end with an ask. Oh wow! And it teaches you to ask things. Ask a different things. ask. That's cool. A different, or it, it it can be the same That's one. Cool. It has to be relevant to the person, right? So yeah. sometimes it's something as simple as like, "Hey, you work in this field. Is it cool if like I hit you up with messaging and ran some messaging yeah. by you?" And you don't even you don't end up following up with most of these people, right? But right. it's getting you in the habit of asking for things, and that's. That ask is a way to keep the conversation going. Definitely. So I think that's like a huge thing. It's like Jeremy's point is like, because I've been telling my friends this who don't work in tech or like don't, and just as a general business strategy or just yeah. like networking is, networking is really just making friends, right? Like, mm-hmm. right. you know, or at least it should be because ultimately. Well, and there's you, the whole psychology of like, if you ask someone to do a favor for you, you're more likely to like build a friendship. Exactly. 100%. And that's, and that's the why I say that too, is like people are willing to help you, but you need to ask them for yeah. things and no one's going to no one's going to come out and offer their help without an ask, right? Like, they're busy. But if you say, like, hey, could you, you know, intro me to this person? We have a sure. long list of demands after this yeah. that we're going to yeah. send you okay. guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, it, it is an awkward feeling. Yeah, It, it still is. I met with someone, um, investor, Denver area, wasn't a good fit for us. Um, but I met him for coffee. And for 15 minutes, I was just trying to chum it up. And he was like, look, my time is best spent when I'm hyper-focused. So can you please just tell me what you need, which might sound like a little forward on his end. I respect it, though. I yeah. I respect the hell out of it. And yeah. it pushed me to actually get to like, actually, this is why we're getting coffee. I saw these three people you're connected with. I love an intro. What can I send you to make that intro happen? Nice. So like it might sound transactional, but it is really just making the best use of everyone's time. Yeah, I think it's more like considerate. Like, if you think of all the time wasted in kind of pleasantries at work, which I know are kind of, like, inevitable and necessary. Michael's yeah. saying he doesn't like talking to me. No, I love talking to Emily. Expand on that. He I'm saying me. other jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So this job's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this, this one I love. This one, I love chatting with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're do- yeah. We yeah. Are... The damage is done. It's but done. I think there's also, there's also a difference, right, between coworkers where you're trying to build up a rapport right. and a culture, and then somebody who you don't work with, you have no business relate. Like, I should the say only, meetings, though. Yeah. You know, meetings with outside people totally. that are not your employees, totally. where you're like, you spend the first five, 10 minutes, it's like yeah. if you, every single meeting times that through a whole year. I think it's like more considerate to be like, okay, let's just jump right in. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And I anyway. think it's, it's also something where like, in sales calls, it's very important, I think, to establish some sort of camaraderie or like, yeah. you know, jokiness and you don't want to get straight to like, yeah, you don't want to not straight to like, give me your money. Right. <laughs> yeah. But like, and then you go to these other business relationships and you kind of maybe put on that sales hat and you're like, you're not selling somebody, you're asking them for something and you're, they're not buying it. Like, so it's just a different relationship. And in that context, it's like, get to the point. Like, yeah. Yeah. ask me what you want to ask me. Right. Otherwise, like, why am I, I'm not here just to chum it up with you. Right. Right. What was the most uncomfortable ask that you guys had to present or the one that made you most uncomfortable? Oh my God, when you're just talking to someone that wants absolutely nothing to do with you. Oh. But Techstars is like, you still have to end everyone with an ask. Yeah. So you're like, would you mind if we reached out to you sometime? <laughs> or what was like, like, no. What, yeah. what was an ask that was maybe most productive for you then? Like yeah. something that really did well, work? Well, I had someone that made me think of is Jeremy. So Jeremy did like 98% of the mentor madness stuff, um, both in terms of like, I sat in for the first half of them, and then I didn't even come to the second half of them. Um, but there was one day where he had to leave early and I had to take a couple calls on my own or meetings on my own. And there was one we had with somebody and I remember it felt really awkward the whole time. It felt terrible. And then I made my ask at the end and it ended up being super productive in the long run. And it was that moment where you're like, 
that's why they have you do it. Because it, yeah. it felt like, it very much felt like Jeremy was saying, where like the first 14 minutes of a 15 minute conversation felt like he didn't care. Yeah. He was just like, why are you talking to me? What are we doing here? And what do you ask for, if you don't mind me? He ended up mention, <laughs> yeah, he ended up mentioning that his sister worked in, in like lobbying or, you know, okay. in, in the general world we were looking to get into. And I was like, oh, like, would you mind, you know, and she ended up giving us some stories that were great. And like, yeah. she still talks to us. Like, she's okay. still like uh, an advisor, essentially. So it's like, turned out to be a great thing. But it's that thing where it's like the first 90% of it, your impulse is to not ask anything because the way that the conversation is going, you're like, this person wants nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. But then I made that ask and he was like, oh, yeah, that's fine. And then I think that's another thing, too, which is that like we sometimes judge people based on how we think they should react versus some people are just, especially if you just met them, like they may not be smiling a bunch. But it doesn't mean they hate you. Right. Right. Maybe like they're just not that kind of person. Totally. Yeah. And how we go did... into the storytelling in our mind where it's like... I don't know. You say what you were going to say. Oh, well, mine's <laughs> totally unrelated. I'm yeah. sorry. Well, we can, let's, let's go there. <laughs> I just wanted to know how you came up with Cloverleaf. As a name? Yeah. So when we got into Techstars, we were still engaged citizen. Um, easy answer there, right? Engaging Just citizens. Said, yeah. The initial, and we were doing a ton of customer discovery because we're just doing this pivot into selling this data to B2B or uh, to private enterprise. And we're seeing a lot of traction from construction companies. So we're trying to think of, you know, standard cool software name. Has to be one word. We were both opposed to just adding L-Y to the end of it. Or (laughs) I-O. Yeah, or I-O. So we went AI. (laughs) Um, But we're thinking of like a, and when I say construction companies, I mean like mass scale building highways, mm-hmm. those kind of groups. So we were thinking of like a cloverleaf exit on a highway and like, you know, the ribbons yeah. that come yeah. out for on and off ramps. And um, with that, we were also thinking like flow, data flow. Our customers will understand the, the logo and then AI. And then public-private mm-hmm. partnership as well, right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 Yeah, like that. And we, we both feel very lucky. So. Yeah, and if, if you want to know any further Cute. proof that's a good name, when he first told me the name, I was like, sounds dumb. And then, <laughs> but then I realized, because I'm an engineer, so it's like engineers, we sit back and we always just criticize everything and everything's mm-hmm. silly and stupid. And then one of our advisors was like, it's a great name. And I was like, I'm definitely wrong. <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely wrong because lots of people have been like, it's a great name. Yeah. <laughs> Even Another like, great story yeah. of how we've kind of allowed ourselves to trust each other is by using that advisor network yeah. to like go to the advisor that we trust with this problem and don't like just accept what they say, but like gather that data to help us understand, yeah. oh, this is your world, this is my world. And that's why it's important to have a, a network on like the more people you can have, right? Because there's certain things yep. we'll go to and you'll get two kind of differing opinions. And that's why, that's something we've talked about from the beginning of like making sure that no matter how smart an advisor is, no matter how experienced they are, it has to be our decision ultimately, right? Yeah. This is our company. So every the advisors are more signal, but they're not they're not dogma. They're not, yeah. you know, it's not, it's not scripture. Facing mm-hmm. off. Yeah. To and make they're not yeah. and they're not to be trusted no matter what, right? Like ultimately it's not their company and they're not invested the way we are, they're not involved the way we are. So they're not gonna have the same perspective. And it's they're not gonna have to bear the responsibility and the consequences of the decisions the way we will. So that's why it's like in my head it's it's very important that we make the decisions so that we, when we have to stand behind them, there are decisions, you know? Mm -hmm. Did you guys raise money? Yeah, so we closed our angel round in February. Okay. I got to use my favorite word in the English language, which is oversubscribed. Okay. It's very exciting. Um, uh, So we went out looking for five. We raised 575. Nice. The reason we kept adding on to that is we, of course, we, you know, we did the friends and family yeah. Stuff. But then we found folks that really got our problem. So actually a uh, former director of communications and strategy for Hickenlooper and then ran Mike Bloomberg's campaign, got really excited about it. Um, former chief of staff for a congresswoman. Wow. Um, so folks that like understood, hey, there's yeah. a real problem here. Uh, that's that's what really got us excited about their investment mm-hmm. yeah. is that it wasn't just, you know my dad and his parents being <laughs> yeah. like 
Oh, bubble luck, good luck. Yeah. yeah. We believe in you. They did do. <laughs> Which they did do. That's how we started. And God bless. Um, God bless. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's that's where we are now, looking to go for next round. You know, we're, we're thinking early summer. Mm-hmm. Now uh-huh. we want to get a little bit more traction. Like I said, the revenue numbers are great, but we'd like to get them better so we can... Yeah, raise more on more. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. You alluded to this earlier about saying that you hope to be doing Cloverleaf in the next three to five to ten years, I think. So what are your future aspirations for the product? So we are not necessarily unicorn hunters. We're not opposed to building (laughs) a unicorn. Mm -hmm. Uh, But like I was saying also, we want to make sure we make the best right decision at every step. So... As we look at it, the we see our future as being absolutely massive. Yeah. But if a large partner comes in and three years in says we and will acquire you at a great price, we would be doing our shareholders a disservice if we did not accept that. Right. As what do you we, think about the whole Elon Musk? I was just Twitter? thinking, <laughs> yeah. but only because we talked yeah. about that. <sighs> I mean, if he wants to buy us for that much money, yeah, we yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm in. Come on in, Elon. What was it, $46 billion? Yeah. yeah. yeah well, it, 43, I 43. think. 43, okay. I think it reminded, Never mind, then we're out. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded Michael, I'm sure, when you mentioned, you know, you owe it to the shareholders. I think yeah. we talked about that in yeah. the Elon Musk thing is like, they, do they owe it to their shareholders? I know. Do you take a, the deal? It's a whole thing. It's a whole... That's why I was getting your guys' <laughs> opinion. I mean, it's tricky. I will say... Um, and this is my private equity brain coming out, but if I understand how Elon orchestrated it, I have a lot of respect from it for it, just from a business standpoint, to get yeah. yourself up to nine percent ownership. Because then he could crank dump that it. stock price up. <laughs> yeah. Then say, I'm gonna leave unless I get right. to buy it at this price. So that's where I would say they might owe it to their shareholders. Cause if he does sell They would tank the price. Yeah. Right. But if the board I mean, what, they took the poison pill on Friday, right? I'm Didn't not they? sure. Where, so no owner, I think they did this, no owner can go over 15% without board approval. Oh, okay. Um, so they're they're playing hardball with him. I don't yeah. know if that's them trying to crank up the price from right. a moral standpoint. I don't think Twitter should be a privately owned <laughs> company, but that's yeah. a different question. So then if, let's say, you build the next unicorn and you get offered you know, a crazy amount of money, what would you do after it? Would you want to go start another project or not even thinking about it? Or I want to open a restaurant. Okay. Oh, what kind or of food? Ten. I don't know. I don't know. Oh. I wanna, I gotta, I'm not a chef, mm-hmm. so um, I got to find a chef partner with tough margins but yeah if but if i have passionate about it but if you got like a billion dollars in the bank then who the fuck cares <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly I, just like, have like a passion project yeah, 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 yeah. okay I, I thought of this for a sushi restaurant uh-huh. and it would be called for goodness sake okay okay yeah, yeah, yeah. i like yeah. it it's really cute and just like a bunch of sake everywhere it's just sake <laughs> yeah Saki yeah. bar idea, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you could take that if yeah, you get a dollars. You could run it, Michael. Okay. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Yeah. I'll ask. I'll ask at the end. <laughs> there you go. Um, one of our advisors in Indy purchased the concert venue he grew up going to. That's cool. super cool. And like gets to book artists. Gets like that would be a definite dream. I don't know if also, you could purchase Red Rocks, but <laughs> that'd be awesome if you could. I'll partner with the city of Denver, like <laughs> yeah. we've talked about, yeah. government partnerships. Yes. Um, outside of, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tricky question. I think just having more freedom is a huge thing. Um, getting to actually lean in and help my partner at some point instead of <laughs> just uh, taking, but, uh, you know, it's... Just so focused on the now. Yes. Yeah. That. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a hard thing because it's like obviously, so many decisions we make are to build that future, but yeah. then you're so far away from it too. It's like, it doesn't seem real at all. I don't know. You know, it's like every once in a while I'll think and I'll be like, holy shit, what would happen if all of a sudden I had like ten million dollars in the bank? And then I'm just like, I don't even want to go there. Yeah. Like let's just put that away and keep working. And yeah. then if I'm lucky enough to be that person one day, we can think about it then. Mm-hmm. I guess for some people. 
I guess I was trying to get like the yeah. crux of what's your why, you know, like yeah, some yeah. people it's like, oh yeah, so that I can do X, Y, Z. Yeah. Some people are, it's like, cause I want to be building what I'm building right now, yeah, yeah. which I it sounds more like, on the building yeah. side, which is awesome. And learning, like I've learned an incredible amount thus far and we're yeah. what, six months in? Eight or, eight or nine, eight. I'm always curious about that too, the whole learning bit, because it seems like a requirement for entrepreneurs. So where do you guys go to learn? Like, are there certain resources that you love? Any books you love? Any? There's this cool site called Facebook. I don't know if you've ever been on there before, but people have great conversations there. <laughs> yeah, like any influencers yeah. that you follow or like? Uh, Daniel Pink. Okay. Uh, he wrote Drive. He wrote Win. He wrote To Sell as Human. Nice. Three incredible books. He's a behavioral economist cool. or okay. psychologist. Economist. economist. Thank you. We need to cut that. <laughs> no, uh, um, this is our business guy. <laughs> but, but drive is all about what drives people. I, mm -hmm. I sent Adam that actually yep. when we got started. Um, to sell as human was huge for me because I was in product. I'd never done sales, and it is heartbreaking. It is terrible. It is also incredible. I would liken it to like getting incredibly intoxicated and you are just so high, but then you also have to deal with the crash on the other end of that. Yeah. Um, but it's talking about how it's not like sleazy car salesmen anymore. We're not living in this world of you have more knowledge. That's why I get to rip you off. Yeah. You know, um, it's more of like a, I'm here to partner with you. And let's make this make sense for both of us. If it doesn't make sense, don't return my email. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so that's more collaborative. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, to close us out, could you each describe your entrepreneurial journey, CTO, <laughs> thus far using just one word? Crickets. <laughs> the first thing, danger. <laughs> Austin, danger powers. <laughs> um, one word. I'm trying to think of surprising, but better a better word for that. I'm, th I'm thinking of a word along the lines of like embracing, mm -hmm. you know, accepting, like just kind of, yeah. You know, Stepping into it. You yeah. Know, Roll with in. the punches. Yeah. We can go with surprising. We can go with it. Well, I'm, I'm trying to think. <laughs> I feel like we, this is one we can cut easy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just throw the one word in. Yeah. Um, I want all of my other words. I want all my words in there. Or leave danger in. <laughs> just danger. I mean, danger's got to stay in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Let's go with surprising. All right, we're going to go with surprising. Nailed it. All right. Well, thank you both so much. Is there anything else you want our listeners to know about you guys or about Cloverleaf? Um, we're growing fast. Yeah. We're where trying... can they find you? Yeah. So at cloverleaf.ai, you'll see all of our, our job hostings. Um, what are you hiring right now? We're hiring engineers. Um, we have an open role for a lead engineer and a senior engineer. Um, but I think from now until forever, we'll be hiring good engineers. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then sales on my end. So anything from SDR up to VP of sales. Cool. Nice. So just yeah, give us a shout. You'll see job postings. They will lead to either our email or just a careers at mm -hmm. email. Um, and if you want to know more about what the government's doing, reach yeah. out. Yeah. I was going to say, and we can, we can cut this off if we want, but I was curious if you guys had seen that TED Talk that um, I was trying to remember the guy's name this morning, but I can't remember. But um, basically, he was advocating for a world with AI where everyone has like a little personalized voting system so that you could automate all of it if you wanted based on your preferences, or you could manually vote on every single bill that came through so that we didn't need representatives. And just like talking about how AI is going to change the future of government. Um, was curious if you had saw, seen that, number one, and number two, like where you think government's going to go with the advent of all these different technologies. Um, I see interacting with it being easier. I think the government is pretty 
baked in its ways and, and benefits from being so. Yeah. At least at like from a top down level. Like you have a lot of people that benefit from keeping things the way they are. Um, but no, I, I have not seen that TED talk, but it sounds very interesting. I'll send it to you I'm guys. Terrified what that algorithm would do. <laughs> I know. If I set my preferences wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like where I'm going with that. Or if someone could hack into that, uh, there's like yeah. all the dangers Definitely. on the other end of it. Like I think we all benefit in a way from keeping the system the way it's been. Like it's been the longest lasting democracy so far. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, the devil we know. Yeah. You know. Uh, but a lot of what we think, too, and not to belabor this, as I know we were just wrapping, is um, it takes a lot of outside and inside parties to actually get things done in our system. Um, so we're, we're just happy to, happy to help fuel those people to actually drive for something, because otherwise it, we would just all be in a standstill mm-hmm. at all times. Like, yeah. There would be nothing getting done. So what what would you want to change about government aside from um, like a, a person in a role? Yeah. <laughs> like more about the government in general. I mean, I think it is really just about it's about access. Um, do I, if I just got one, I would say make election day a holiday or make it on a weekend and make it a holiday. Uh, but that would be like that's one very specific one. Yeah. But it's very hard for people to vote. And that feels weird. I'm all for days off. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) Hey, come on. Anyways. This isn't Europe, all right? (laughs) I didn't think it was hard to vote myself. I didn't think it was hard to vote. Colorado is incredible. I was in L.A. for the last election. And they didn't do anything. You just walked in. Yep. Anyone walk in. They didn't check your ID. They didn't do anything. Oh, I feel like they're supposed to do that. I know they didn't do that. No, I think it's like <laughs> half, half the states don't check ID. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. We're like the oh. only, one of the only countries in the world that doesn't. Yeah, I think it's bizarre because you need a, <laughs> an ID to get a library yeah, card. Yeah, what if yeah. you could just go back <laughs> and could you just keep voting like a million times? I don't know. Well, that's a Chicago saying, right? Vote early, vote often. Yep. Yeah. Exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know. But it, it, I, I do, I see both sides on that, I guess. But I'm more just meant for folks that like, work a really long shift somewhere yeah. they're far well, from the station. Well, because your whole thing station. is still assuming that you have that day off or have the time off. But if you work a yeah. job, a lot of people's jobs, they can't get a Tuesday off. Yeah. And then so then they're restricted after work, and maybe the polling place is only open for two hours, and there's a three-hour wait, and yeah. you got two kids at home. But they had the mail-in this past this year. This one, yeah. For Colorado, I, mean, that was, I think Colorado yeah. is incredible. I well, Oregon's it. been doing absentee ballots mandatory for everybody for a yeah. long time now. That's where I used to live, and it's easy, and you have a month to vote. Right. And you can look things up as you vote. It's quite nice. Right. It's just obvious. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah, thank, thank, you, thank so you so much thank for you. being here. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a great it. conversation. Yeah. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Sliced Podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode of Sliced, please email newsroom at startupblogpost.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.